Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Bernie, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. We got a logo too. We've been working on one for 18 years, and, and we want everybody in the country to know, with all due respect, we got a logo too. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Colby, how you doing on this Friday? Uh, great. Yeah, looking forward to a good weekend. College World Series, U.S. Open last week, more PGA Tour, just covering golf the usual. You had a good week? Yeah, I watched the draft last night, which was, I think, a good night for the Thunder. Um, I just, I can't get into the College World Series without OSU. I just, I've never been a big baseball guy anyway, and I just think college baseball is just diminished in my my viewing priorities. But you've been watching it? Uh, a little bit here and there. I mean, I haven't been actively watching it. I would say I've been passively watching it. Okay. I've got, I've got all my screens uh, so I can make room for a lot, especially in the summer when there's just not a ton going on. Uh, I'm watching the, the golf this morning and they're showing previews for the London Classic Sunday morning. Uh, Cardinals and Cubs are going to play in London. I'm like, well, it's June, so I might be watching Cardinals Cubs in London at 9 o'clock Sunday morning. Yeah, I wish they would have moved like the U.S. Open or the PGA to August just to get us through the rest of summer. It feels like we've peaked a little too early, and it's only, you know, mid to late June now. So the dog days are upon us. With that in mind, Colby and I, we're going to do a Pistols Rewinding podcast. Um, do you like that name? Someone uh, suggested Pistols Reloaded for the, uh, the rewatchables. Um, we're still workshopping that. Do you like Reloaded? I like Reloaded quite a bit. I like Reloaded. Yeah, I kind of like Reloaded. It's yeah, re- rewinding just had the ing on it, so it sounded good enough. But I think reloaded is probably the better way to go. But uh, I put out a poll on Twitter, and 2011 football at Texas A&M was the winner for our next rewatchables. Uh, Colby, I kind of wanted to do the 08 Missouri game, which was you know just paramount in the Mike Gundy era, really took things to a different level and became the program they are today. But man, people people love that 2011 A&M game for what it meant to that 2011 season. Uh, yeah, no doubt about it. I, I love the A&M game. I wouldn't have hated doing the Missouri game either. Maybe we'll get to that one down the line. We will. Yeah. We All summer. That one was so fun with Gundy sitting back there drawing up plays. Um, and, and he talked in the athletic story about how you just, there's no time to do that anymore in college football because you're pulled a million different ways. Um, yeah, it was a different time in college football. It was a different time for Mike Gundy, and that game was a ton of fun, but so was the A&M game. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, and that's what the people want. So that's what they're going to get. Yeah, it's going to be great. We're going to do that next week, but we got some items to discuss, more uh, donations from T. Boone Pickens. We still haven't discussed the uh, the Mike Gundy comments that went kind of viral and, and national, uh, as well as some other thoughts on Marcus Smart getting traded and a little bit of the Ricky Fowler stuff. But first, let's hear from Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. We appreciate Chris's as always. Uh, Colby, let's start with our man T. Boone Pickens. And I, I'd been saying on this podcast, gosh, a while back that I had heard, you know, through people I know up in Stillwater that, that Boone was not done giving and that uh, not by a long shot and that there was going to be a, a lot more money coming through. And that was made public. Another, what, $120 million coming from Boone Pickens. Uh, it comes from his foundation. Uh, let's see here. You know, the details are more than half of the 120 million will go to academics. The other half will go to athletics. 
Um, Jay Rosser, uh, his his kind of handler said student scholarships will cover sixty three point seven million. Uh, Karsten Creek getting thirty one point three million. The money will will be used to renovate and reconstruct the golf course. Uh, obviously, his relationship with Mike Holder was paramount in that, and also the Human Innovation Complex for twenty five million, which will go towards uh, you know the Cowboy football program and you know just one of those facilities. Colby, you got to have it be a big time football program, but Boone Pickens, uh, man, it's it's kind of frightening to think about where OSU would be as an athletics program and really university with all that money he's given at academics as well without without T Boone. Yeah, the money matters. We all know the money matters. It's no secret. Um, and yeah, this is a, a huge uh, windfall from T Boone, and it's great that he is still giving from the grave. Uh, T Boone has been unbelievable for Oklahoma State University. I love that sixty three point seven million was going toward student scholarships. Obviously, we don't come on here uh, on this podcast and talk about science and math and agriculture and all those things, but it's important, and it's the the foundation of Oklahoma State University is the school. So 63.7 to scholarships is great. 31.3 to Karsten Creek. And we got a, a question on Twitter uh, from E. Clymer who says, any insight as to why the Pickens Foundation would make such a huge gift to Karsten Creek? Thought it is one of the best college courses in the country. I get Boone's close ties to Holder, but it seems the athletic department has more pressing needs. NIL question mark. Love the pod. Uh, thank you for loving the pod. We appreciate that. Uh, actually, Carson Creek, it's a fantastic golf course. It's phenomenal. But like everything else in college athletics, everyone else has caught up and in many cases passed Oklahoma State. It, it is still an unbelievable piece of property. It's an unbelievable golf course. But renovations were set to happen, and they probably knew that they were going to be getting this money. Uh, my understanding is that there's going to be a lot more Bermuda on the golf course. The practice facilities are going to get a huge upgrade. I would imagine that indoor hitting bays are going to be a part of that. Uh, you go down to Norman and, and at the Charlie Coast Center, I mean, they've got garage doors that open up uh, out of the back in the in the winter, and they can sit there and they can hit balls out on the range and stuff like that. And Oklahoma State, believe it or not, actually I think needs to up their game with some of their golf facilities. You see what Arizona State has done. Their stuff is world-class, and it's like everything else in collegiate athletics. It's an arm race for facilities and um, just just things for, for kids to uh, get better. And part of that, I think, is going to be having more indoor stuff that you can do in the winter, whether that's hitting base, putting greens, whatever the case may be. But uh, 31.3 to Carson Creek, and then the Human Performance Innovation Complex. Carson, I have a question. I love the $25 million going to the OSU Human Performance Innovation Complex, but we've got to come up with a catchier name, right? Maybe we can put this out to our listeners. We need a way catchier name for that than OSU Human Performance Innovation Complex. Would you prefer that or the Cowboy Culture Center? Because I the cowboy culture thing just wears me slick. So I, I don't uh, OSU can't do OSU DNA. That's an OU thing. Um, I don't know. I haven't really workshopped that yet. But yeah, it seems like the name. What they should do is just slap someone else's name on it to get more donations. That's a good point. Yeah, slap somebody else's name on it. I'd be fine with that. I just man, OSU Human Performance Innovation Complex is quite the mouthful. We need like the Orange Power Center. Um, you know. Good night, Vienna complex. Yeah. Something something catchy, something with a little ring to it, because that's way too much of a mouthful. And do we know what it is exactly? Like uh, the, it's just like a nutrition, weightlifting. It says uh, home to the Human Performance and Nutrition Research Institute and the Cowboy Football Center. Seems yeah. like it's an all-in-one type thing. 
It says we'll focus on enhancing the health and wellness of students, athletes, and Oklahomans. So I don't know um, from the athlete perspective, I don't know if they're going to have like cryotherapy chambers in there, float tanks. I don't know what you're going to do with 25 million. You ever done the, the cryo or the float tank? I've done cryo, which was actually, I really liked it. It really did help with soreness. Um, I think there's real science behind that. I've never done the floating. I feel like uh, like that's something Joe Rogan would do while he talks about outer space. Uh, I'm going to do the cryo soon. I, for Mother's Day, uh, my mom, she does entirely too much. Uh, and she's always sore, kind of like I'm always sore because I do too much as well. It and helps. She did the cryo once. Uh, that's what I got her for Mother's Day was was a cryo deal to try. She did it once, and she's really claustrophobic, and she said she doesn't know if she's going to use the second one on the, the gift certificate. So she told me to go use it. So I'm going to try it soon. I'm going to uh, Tahoe to the American Century Tournament with work in July, and then my wife and I are going to the Canadian Rockies to do some climbing and some biking and stuff in August. So I'm going to do the cryo before that, and hopefully my body will be feeling good for some trips I've got coming up. Well, it sure beats the ice baths the football team always used to do after practice. I, I I could not do an ice bath. That just looks too painful. And it does the same thing without as much pain or you don't have to be there as long, I don't think. But can I can I pick some nits about the golf donation? Can I pick some nits? Is that okay? Nits in one second though. Have you ever done an ice bath? Um, no. I just I'm I'm too big of a, a wimp. I can't I can't do that. I tried it one time. Um I think it might be the toughest thing about football players. I think it might be the toughest thing about athletes is that they just sit in that ice. Um, well, and it makes a huge, like there's real science behind that. Like it cuts down on the soreness. It's just, golly, it looks painful. Yeah. I wish I could do it. Um, I think it would help a ton with my knees and elbows and just everything I've got going on, but I, I can't do the ice bath. But You yes. are the oldest young guy I know. You, you probably uh, need to do more yeah. ice baths. You can probably start with like a cold shower, which even that's too painful. Uh, see, I actually do take cold showers in the summer. I'm, yeah. I'm a cold, after a workout or after yard work. Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, go ahead, nitpick. Um, God, we we're, we're old talking about ice baths and how much our bodies hurt. Uh, <laughs> um, so about Karsten, I don't disagree with anything you said about you know it's it needs upgrading and it's it's pretty constant in that that space. And you know, Jimmy Jimmy Austin's gotten nicer in OU, like you mentioned. What does OSU really get? out of Karsten Creek. First off, the team doesn't play any tournaments there. They basically just practice there, which I get you need to have to entice the, the world's best players to come to your school. I, I certainly understand that. Uh, they don't host tournaments there because it's not built for that. And frankly, they don't want to. It doesn't make any money, um, which they're they're perfectly happy to not. Um, I just, I don't know what they're really getting out of it. I guess you could argue they recruit top players, Colby, but and I'm not opposed to to upgrading and upkeeping Karsten Creek. And I know this is this is what Boone wanted. So it, what he says goes. I certainly understand that part of it as well. I just don't see the return on investment there. It just kind of seems like a lot of that money could be better allocated for a lot of other athletics programs. But hey, I know that's what Boone wanted. But do you, do you see where I'm coming from on that? Uh, no, I absolutely do. From an accounting standpoint, like if you're just looking at the at the dollar figures. Uh, yeah, Carson's a huge L from an accounting standpoint, but the golf program has the extreme benefit of being the baby of a super, super rich old guy whose best friend was the golf coach and who loves golf. Like the His real old house is, is there on at Carson. Yeah. Yeah. Boone's, Boone's old Boone residence. Is, 
Boone is, I think Boone's buried at Carson, isn't he? I think in that house, his his childhood yeah. home, they moved to Carson. It's there. You can you drive right by when you're pulling in. Yeah, it's just off the 10th tee box there, uh, in between the 10th tee box and the clubhouse. Um, yeah, I mean, the reality is golf got lucky that, that the super rich uh, donor is a golf guy, and his best friend was the golf coach. Maybe it would be different if Mike Holder was the tennis coach. Then maybe tennis would be getting $30 million. I don't know. Um, I think it's definitely a stroke of good fortune for the golf program. If you don't have that, uh, I mean, if your team just plays at, at, at Stillwater Country Club, then the golf program probably isn't what it has been. You probably don't end up with a team that has Victor Hovland, Matthew Wolf, Austin Eckroat all on it. Um, you know, it's one of those things that you're not going to get your return on investment whenever it comes to golf, but it's something that we all love whenever the golf team uh, is great in the Springs. So I, I do think that it will help the golf program get back to the level it was at five years ago whenever you boost the course and you boost the facilities and things. But yeah, from an accounting standpoint, um, no, you're not going to see a return on investment from that. No, and that sound you heard is Mike Gundy chunking his laptop across the room that that money's not going to NIL, <laughs> although maybe he doesn't care about NIL. You know, you and I haven't talked about Mike Gundy's comments that were in The Athletic, really good article by by Max Olson. A lot of it we've heard before, Colby, about, you know, Gundy shrugging off the the questions about cowboy culture. He calls any questions about uh, there being, you know, some bad chemistry or bad culture in still where he says that's, quote, 100% BS. Uh, obviously we know about all the people that have left and certainly all the, the big time programs they have gone to Colby's what sticks out to me. Um, but I think the most interesting factor in here is Gundy goes on the record of saying he kind of spells it out that he doesn't negotiate. He doesn't have anyone sitting him down going, here's what I'm getting offered. And he doesn't even entertain the idea. And to me in this day and age, that that's a tough look. I mean, I just read an article, I believe it was yesterday it's just kind of detailing how Florida state is now positioned to be a playoff contender this year and how their coach, Mike Norvell has eschewed his recruiting budget towards NIL and recruiting proven players who have done it strictly through NIL and the transfer portal. And he still recruits high school players, but he's made that the number one priority and they've Colby, they've cleaned up in the portal. And now a lot of people are ranking them in the top five to top 10, uh, he's taking the complete opposite approach of Mike Gundy. And again, Mike Gundy has been very forward thinking. I think he's been ahead of the curve in a lot of ways, recruiting, not one of them, but this is his stance. He's not going to change. We know this, but it was interesting to, for me to read him kind of spelling it out for us. Yeah, it was this, this athletic story. There's a lot in here, a lot in here. Um, I just read it this morning. I I'd seen all the quotes and stuff, but I wanted to read the actual story. Uh, in full that Max Olson wrote back on June 13th. Um, and it was a great story. There's a lot in here. Uh, some good quotes from Mike Gundy. It's, Carson, when things go well, when you win 12 games, cowboy culture is fun, right? It matters. It's fun. You beat Texas this past year, and that's a team with a culture against a team without one. You start losing games, culture feels different. Um, I, I still don't totally know how Mike Gundy can sit there and say that it's 100% BS that there were any culture problems um, and that he was surprised that, that John Paul Richardson uh, decided to um, to jump in the portal. I don't know. I, I still think you look at what was happening in December with uh, the way guys were behaving on social media and just simply the mass exodus of starters who departed. Um, look, Mike Gundy knows his program better than I do. If he says it's 100% BS, 
then I, I guess that that's the, the opinion of the head coach. Um, maybe it looks very different from the inside than it looked from the outside. I'll say this. There's this quote in this story from Mike Gundy. Uh, I don't fire coaches. That's all, that's all well and good when you win. I think there's a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure on Mike Gundy to win in 2023, more than there has been in a long time. I think there's a lot of pressure on Casey Dunn to make things work in 2023 offensively uh, because, man, a lot of people were clamoring for some changes on the offensive side of the ball uh, after that poor performance we saw the last five, six weeks of the season. Now, you also get into a conversation, are the injuries excuses or explanations? Maybe a little bit of both, um, but I think that the pressure is extreme this year on Mike Gundy because uh, if ever there was a time to make a change offensively, it was after failing to score more than 20 points the last, you know, six weeks of your season, and he decided not to do it. The, the pressure is really there. Alan Bowman needs to be that guy. Uh, he is very mature. He's an older guy. I loved – I don't know if you saw the, the story last week, two weeks ago maybe – with Alan Bowman, uh, where he said that he was looking for a place to be, and he was down at Baylor. And prior to the following day, whenever he was going to have his visit with Baylor, he and his dad drove at 10 p.m. from Waco to Stillwater, and the next day he went and watched film with Casey Dunn for five hours. He told Casey Dunn, I don't want to see the facilities. I don't need any of that. I want to sit down and see if I'm going to be a fit here. And that's when he decided to come to Oklahoma State. Uh, So stuff like that makes me incredibly optimistic uh, for 2023. As far as Mike Gundy and his philosophy – we're, we're going to see. We're going to see if it works. Uh, we're going to see how this program evolves. It all went very wrong second half of last season. But, you know, Mike Gundy's not going to be judged for, for five games and what happened down the stretch there if he can turn it around in 2023. So hopefully they can stay healthy and score some points uh, and things get going in the right direction because it all went very poorly at the end of last year. And I don't know, Carson, when, when do you think the last time Mike Gundy had this much pressure on him going into a season? Oh... I'd probably say that 2014 season was pretty ugly. And a lot of us didn't think 2015 would go much better. And they started out the season 10 and 0 with Mason Rudolph and a duct taped offensive line. Uh, So maybe 2014, uh, maybe even, gosh, maybe even the, the year before when Spencer went to the Fiesta bowl. Um, But no, I, I don't think any of it compares to this. Um, this is as down as they've been since really his first season record wise and uh, productiveness wise and running the football on their offense. That's probably what I'd say. I'd say this is number one in terms of pressure. Yeah, I think so too, especially because I I say this about the fan base. When you lose games 45 to 42, for whatever reason, I think that that makes fans happier than whenever you lose a game to West Virginia, 23 to 16 or whatever it was. I think fans can stomach scoring a whole bunch of points, but you just can't stop anybody because the game's built for offense. It's designed for offense. It's fun. You got to cheer a lot when your team, team scored touchdowns. You didn't sit there bored out of your mind for four hours. I think that is why part of the reason why the fan base was so up in arms at the end of last season. It's like, how can you not score at Oklahoma State? How can you not move the football, get first downs, score? Um I think that that has a little bit to do with it because if you're at least having fun and your team's putting up 42 points, you can, you can come up with excuses and reasons and rationalize why the other team scored 45. It's hard to come up with reasons why your team can only score 16 and only got seven first downs in an entire game. 
and gets completely blown off the map in Manhattan with with a healthy Spencer Sanders. And look, I you can tell me all you want. He didn't practice. He he was out there, and when he was out there, he was usually effective. Um, I just my issue with his comments is it just seems like he's leaning on that crutch of injuries. He keeps saying we've never experienced anything like that. I'm like, no, like you've had you've had a long history of quarterbacks getting hurt, and it doesn't make you completely non-competitive, which you and I hit on so much throughout the season. You were still able to run the football, which you were no longer able to do. That's my issue. And and can I take issue real quick with the fact that he said he doesn't fire coaches? Um, yeah. Bill Young, um, Glenn Spencer, he definitely told Sean Gleason to go find another job. Uh, basically demoted Gunter Brewer um, in, in favor of Dana Holgerson, which was a great move. Uh, he's right in that most coaches leave for better jobs, but he he he's fired coaches too. Vance Bedford, his first defensive coordinator, he straight up fired, which I don't begrudge him for any of those moves. Most of them, if not all of them, have worked out. Uh, I just <laughs> Mike just says some crazy things job. sometimes, and he he's definitely fired coaches before. That's part of the job. You're a head coach yeah. of four or five program. Like firing is sometimes part of the job. I don't think firing is fun. Uh, you know, I've had this conversation with my dad. He owns his own business, and occasionally he has to let somebody go, and he hates it. It's not fun. It's an awful thing to do. That person has a family. But guess what? It's business. It's part of it. People get fired. Um, I that, that quote raised my eyebrows a little bit, too. Do you think there's a culture problem? I, I, I think that's hyperbole in a lot of ways. I do think it's questionable how hard Mike is working to keep players on campus. Like, do I have an issue with him not negotiating an NIL deal for a, a linebacker in Mason Cobb who had a, had a good year, not great year? No, I don't have a problem with that. But in the, today's day and age where, where we're at in society today, you have to keep recruiting kids. I know you don't like it. I know it's annoying. I know it's a pain in the, you know what, Mike, but that's, that's kind of part of the deal. And I think that's why people left because he didn't give them a reason to stay. And I think that's, that's also his job, Colby, not just to fire coaches, but to, you have to re-recruit your players. And that's where I kind of take issue is, is Mike Gundy doing everything he can to make his team the best it can be? Or is he just not want to deal with it? To me, his quotes and his actions tell me he just doesn't want to deal with it. Yeah, that's kind of the conversation we've been having around Mike Gundy for a few years now as college football evolves because it's such a different game than it was back in the day. Even, even in this story by Max Olson, um, he talks about, you know, the good old days where in 2014, Oklahoma State knew that the team wasn't going to be that great. But they knew by the time 2017 rolled around, that team was going to be pretty good. And that's what happened because you developed those guys. College football, college sports are different. You can't guarantee that you bring in this group of young guys and they grow together for three, four years, and all of a sudden you put something special together. And I do wonder what Oklahoma State football looks like in this new-look college football because those have kind of been the peak years and the best teams at Oklahoma State. Carson, it's those teams that have spent three years playing together. Um, you know, that 2021 team was full of a bunch of guys who'd been around for a few years. Malcolm Rodriguez, uh, Jason Taylor, Devin Harper, those guys. Um, it, it's just a very different college football, and I think that we saw last year. I mean, Mike Gundy even said, like, you know, he was a little bit surprised by some things. And, and I mean, the headline to this story is Mike Gundy ain't going to get su surprised again. Like, 
it's not that surprising anymore. We kind of know what college football is. So, uh, look, I, I wouldn't go as far as to say that Oklahoma State has a culture problem. I think last year's team, for whatever, didn't gel just right, and then you start losing, and every little thing is amplified to a 10. Uh, but I do think that, that Mike Gundy is at this teetering point where it's either going to go the good way, which is where he does what Mike Gundy does. And when his back's against the wall, he goes out and he wins eight, nine, 10 games. And we're all like, all right, the Gundy way keeps working or college football is going to have evolved to a point past where Mike Gundy's way can be successful. And it's going to go the other way. And, and only time will tell um, Mike Gundy has been the most successful coach in Oklahoma state football history. I hope that it goes the Gundy way because I want him to have more successful years at Oklahoma State, and I want him to go out on his own terms um, having success late in his career. So we'll see how it plays out because college football is a very different game than it used to be. Yep, I agree. Um, did you see Marcus Smart got traded? That surprised me quite a bit. Um, I think I had said on this show recently that he was kind of trending towards having his jersey retired in Boston. He played there nine years, was a fan favorite. Uh, you don't see that type of longevity much more in the NBA. Kind of embodied what Boston was all about. But, man, Colby, how about the Grindfather Part 2? Tony Allen, the Tony Allen similarities coming from Oklahoma State. He invented the grit and grind there in Memphis. I uh, saw an interview with Chris Vernon uh, with Tony Allen saying he's putting a stamp on Marcus Smart as the next Grindfather. Uh, he'll have to sort out Ja Morant, but that's – I think it's going to be a lot of fun watching him and Steven Adams uh, muck it up with their defense in Memphis. Yeah, I think that will be a lot of fun. I, I was surprised to see him get traded because I look at the Boston Celtics and I don't know, I felt like Marcus was a big part of their team identity. Like he was that go-get-it guy. You've got Tatum uh, and Jalen Brown who are just kind of scorers, right? That's what they do. Give them the ball, they go score. But who's your grinder? And Marcus Smart was that guy. So I was surprised to see him move because I kind of felt like he was the heart and soul of that team, even though he wasn't the team's best player. So I'll be curious to see what that looks like for Boston next year. But from a Memphis perspective, uh, yeah, I'm very much looking forward to game 26 next season when I can see John Morant, Marcus Smart, uh, Steven Adams, Desmond Bain, you know, Jaron Jackson Jr. That's going to be a really good team. And I know people aren't really talking about them in the same light as some of these other teams in the West right now. And I get it uh, because Ja hasn't really had his head screwed on straight lately, but he's still so talented and he hasn't made any mistakes that are, you know, that can't be undone or uh, are going to forever harm his time in Memphis or anything like that. I think Marcus Smart, as far as culture, ooh, buddy, get that man in the grindhouse and let him go to work. Uh, I'm a Memphis fan, by the way. You been to Memphis, Carson? I have. I've covered playoff games there. I was there covering a shoot-around when the newspaper article calling Kevin Durant Mr. Unreliable came out. Oh. So you want to you want to talk about a busy morning for young Carson uh, fielding inquiries from every affiliate we had from across the country and me being there by myself with a camera. That was tough. That was a tough day for me. But yeah. uh, I've always enjoyed going down to Memphis. Good, good food, uh, <laughs> different vibe inside that arena in a good way. Uh, you don't get that kind of vibe in most NBA arenas is usually pretty stuffy, but that one's pretty wild and fun. Uh, it was intense atmospheres too. Uh, yeah, I enjoy Memphis. Uh, Bill street was a lot of fun. The food, the barbecue, whew, good stuff. So, uh, yeah, Marcus Martin Memphis is going to be a great fit. He and Steven Adams together. Uh, you better strap in when you play Memphis cause it's going to be physical. Yep. No doubt. So hopefully Marcus, I mean, 
I think you're right. Like people forget they were what, like the two seed, uh, trending toward the one seed before all Jaws stuff. So they're they're title contenders. But um, uh, time for bullets and BBs. What do you got for me this week? Uh, I'm gonna give out a bullet that I I don't think people are probably expecting me to give out. I'm gonna give it to Ricky Fowler. I, I think that he deserves a bullet for. Uh, not only the way he played last week, but the way he handled everything. And I, I think the reason that I'm able to view Ricky's performance at the U.S. Open, for those of you who didn't watch, uh, he slept on the lead Thursday night after a 62. He slept on the lead Friday night. He slept on the lead Saturday night. He collapsed on Sunday with a final round 75 uh, that left that left him, I think, five shots back of Wyndham Clark's victory. Um, but Ricky... I never thought that he was going to win the golf tournament. I didn't think he was going to win after he shot 62. I didn't think he was going to win it whenever he was sleeping on the lead on Saturday night, because despite playing good golf this year, he hasn't really been in contention going into a Sunday where he can win it. It was all coming from behind stuff like that. And you have to be in that situation. You have to feel that for a while. Everybody acts like Wyndham Clark's this nobody. He just won a designated event last month. He he's felt that in his hands recently, but Ricky got himself close. He got himself on that stage again. And I think that that was such a big step for Ricky in his, you know, attempted comeback to try to get back to being one of the best players in the world getting in contention at a major championship, being in the final group at a major championship. I think that that matters immensely. And I love the way he answered questions all week. I love the way he treated the fans all week. It's just what goes right, what goes wrong on the golf course. It never impacts who Ricky Fowler is. And I just have a ton of respect for the way that he handles his business. So um, Sunday 75, you know, it is what it is. That's what happens in golf when it's the first time you've been in contention in a major in, I don't know, five years, maybe more for Ricky Fowler. So um, I was very pleased by what I saw from him. And I think that he'll be hoisting a trophy sooner rather than later. Maybe not necessarily a major championship. There's only four of those a year, but he's going to get back in the winner's circle at some point soon. He's playing good golf. And again, just can't say enough about the type of person that Ricky is off the golf course. Well, it's great to see him be Ricky Fowler again. I mean, he literally had fallen to gosh depths that very few golfers come back from. Um, I mean, he was outside the top 150. I mean, it looked like he completely was lost at sea and never coming back was never going to be that even was tempting or toying with the idea of going to live, just cashing out like a lot of those guys have. Um, but he's my BB. I'm sorry. I got to go Ricky. I mean, look, it's great to see him back, but Colby, I'm in a group text with uh, guys from high school and almost all of them are OU fans. And Sunday just fed the same narrative all the Ricky detractors give is that on Sunday he collapses. And I don't think he hit one good shot on Sunday. I mean, it it just feeds into the narrative that he cannot handle the Sunday pressure. And look, I, I wanted Ricky to win. I was pulling for him. You knew after his first couple holes it wasn't going to happen because you could tell he was not the same guy that had made what twenty birdies the first two rounds. I mean, it just it wasn't there. And and look, from where he came from, great. But man, like how many more realistic opportunities does he have to win a major, Colby? I mean, that final group uh, tied for the lead. I mean, it kind of started the third round. He missed that short putt on eighteen. I know it was dark, but that kind of set the table. Um, just man, I just. The Sunday pressure is something Ricky just has not – he's been in this position a lot, Colby, and it just felt like another huge missed opportunity in which he wasn't even really competitive. No, I totally get that take too. Um, I think that there's a little bit of both. There's a little bit of uh, good job, Ricky, getting yourself back into contention and a little bit of, man – 
Probably should have cashed that one in because don't know how many more of these opportunities you're going to get. I think it's a little bit of both. Uh, I'm going to give my BB, Carson. I, I was planning on doing this. I didn't know we were going to talk about it beforehand. I was going to give it to the Boston Celtics. I, I didn't understand the move on from Marcus Smart. Uh, Chris Porzingis, okay. He's not what anybody thought that he was going to be. Again, I just don't know what their uh, culture is. I don't know what their identity is without Marcus Smart out there being the the tough kind of do-everything guy. He did all the dirty work. Like, those other guys didn't have to do the work, dirty work because Marcus was doing it. Now what are these guys going to do? Um, I, I don't know. Uh, Jalen Tatum, uh, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, they're going to be asked to do a lot. Hopefully Jalen Brown not asked to dribble because that's uh, something that he apparently can't handle. But, um, yeah, I was very surprised to see Boston move on from Marcus. And to tell you the truth, I think that they will end up regretting it. I'm going to give Boston my BB. Marcus Smart, this is from Sean Grandy, the play-by-play voice of the Celtics. Marcus Smart is the only Celtic in the last 30 years to play nine-plus years and 500 games and never miss the playoffs. He's one of just 10 Celtics who have ever done it. Kevin McHale, Bill Russell, Bob Cousy, Larry Bird, Sam Jones, Bill Sharman, Casey Jones, Tommy Heinsohn, Frank Ramsey, and Marcus Smart. Uh, that says That's a mouthful. Chris Vernon, Verno, he, he's he's the guy that kind of got with Tony Allen on the grindfather and all that. He tweeted at Bill Simmons and Kevin O'Connor, who were discussing the trade. He said, enjoy your hobbled stork that, tr- that tried in a contract year, meaning Porzingis. Thanks for the heart and soul with a gif of Marcus Smart. I think that, I think Boston got a hobbled stork and Memphis got the heart and soul of the franchise from Boston. That's where I'd put it. Now, the detractors, Colby, the critis- criticism of the trade for Marcus Smart in Memphis would be that Marcus's body's kind of breaking down. Uh, he he dealt with injuries this year. He does throw his body to the his caution to the wind. Uh, that doesn't typically last in the NBA while the wear and tear. But I, I absolutely love this trade for Memphis regardless. Yeah, I do too. Again, he does the dirty work, so other guys don't, don't have to. So Marcus Smart, they're going to love him in Memphis. They're going to miss him in Boston. Uh, my bullet is going to go to Wyndham Clark. And look, I when he transferred to Oregon, I didn't know the whole story with his mother. I think someone may have mentioned that she was sick, but I, I distinctly remember him playing for Oregon in the national championship. I believe it was on their home course, thinking like, man, how could this guy transfer from Oklahoma State? And I, in my brain, I never really considered him someone OSU could claim. But you know, Larry Reese and Ryan Cameron and all those guys that are close to the program have made it very clear how much OSU means to Wyndham Clark. Um, I'm trying to find the tweet that I retweeted from uh, Larry Reese. He said, let's cheer on Wyndham. Uh, He left OSU, which we all know he said. uh, He was back for the Cowboy Pro-Am last fall, and I got to tell him he is forever part of the Cowboy family. He said, quote, I can't tell you how much that means to me, and I feel the same way. Uh, Clearly still loves Oklahoma State, had, had some family issues. And uh, it was pretty cool, Colby. I, obviously, I think most people were rooting for Ricky and Rory. He kind of played the spoiler. But seeing his reaction to the winning putt, breaking down, being with his family, I thought that was a really cool moment because so many times we see these guys win majors like Brooks Kepka, and they just kind of are ho-hum about it, stoic, You know, maybe a slight fist pump, and they give generic answers. This was a life-changing win for him. And uh, Oklahoma State, I think, Colby, can now claim their second major winner ever. Uh, yeah, Wyndham Clark clearly values Oklahoma State. Uh, for the record, I wasn't rooting for Wyndham Clark, 
but it didn't have anything to do with Wyndham Clark. He was playing against Rory and Ricky. Rory and Ricky are two of the most beloved players in the game. That's why everybody was rooting against Wyndham Clark. It had nothing to do with him. He has a great story. Uh, he's put the work in. It hasn't been easy for Wyndham Clark. He has had to grind. You know, he was one of these talented guys that could have achieved a lot of things a lot earlier, but things went wrong in his life, and it was hard, and he had to overcome adversity, and he did all that. And, Carson, I just couldn't believe his poise on Sunday. Um Guys who have never finished better than 75th in a major, like his, his best finish in a major prior to Sunday was 75th. Um, to go out there and do that down the stretch at a U.S. Open, I was blown away by how poised he was uh, and, and by just how he pulled those golf shots off down the stretch. Oklahoma State clearly has a special place in his heart. Uh, he talks about McGraw. He talks about Bratton, his time in Stillwater and how valuable it was to him. I, I think that... You know, the conversation, should this college claim him? Should this college claim him? I, I don't – I think most of that is is dumb. Um, if, if the guy says that he's an Oklahoma State Cowboy, okay, he's an Oklahoma State Cowboy. If he's also an Oregon Duck, that's fine too. Um, but, yes, he speaks very, very highly of his time in Stillwater, and it was very important in his development as a player uh, and as a young man as he went through a very – very difficult time in his life with the passing of his mother. So it was very cool to see Wyndham get him, get it done. Uh, he was my third choice behind Rory and Ricky, but once it was all done and the final putt dropped, I was happy for him and I enjoyed watching his celebrations. Um, he gave a great press conference and uh, listened to an interview with him on, on a podcast earlier this week. And he's just been great as he's made the round. So huge congratulations to former Cowboy Wyndham Clark. Yep. He's really, he's always been a bomber, um, but he's really made a leap with his irons. I think he's, He's been top 10 in approach this year, and that's why he's won a major now, and that's why he's likely going to be on the Ryder Cup team. So hopefully hopefully Wyndham and Ricky can be on the, on the Ryder Cup together, maybe even maybe even partner up. Who, who was Ricky's usual go-to on the Ryder Cup, his partner? Is he like with Bubba? Good question. Who was Ricky playing? I don't remember. It's been a while. I've slept I think, since. Yeah, I, I want to say he was with Bubba because they did the golf boys thing together. Maybe him and Mayhan maybe too for the OSU golf boys connection. That'd yeah. be my guess. I forgot about the golf boys. What a what a world that was. Someone tweeted the video this week, and I I retweeted it. Like, <laughs> what a wild time that was. Can you imagine like four players, four high level players making something like that today? It would be um, dumbfounding and incredible. I'm trying to find his match play partner, but yeah, I'd be curious to know who it was. It just pulls up pictures of his wife when I when I type partner, so it doesn't help. <laughs> cut out for him though because uh one guy who was not supposed to be on the team and absolutely is on the team is Wyndham Clark so that is a spot that a lot of guys probably thought was going to be available that is not going to be there yeah well I think he's making a case again he's top 12 and T to green in the world right now so he's trending in that direction um one last thing should should Ricky not wear orange on Sunday you know I, I brought this up before his round on Sunday he won the players wearing like pink and blue for Mother's Day um, maybe you should wear orange like Saturday and mix it up on Sunday. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think that all that stuff squinky, bud squinkies, I you know, know. he likes the orange go out and hit the golf shots. I don't know if he, if he wears orange. I, I don't think that's what's keeping him from winning. <laughs> he won the players. That's basically a major, right? Oh, uh, I'm a big, uni I'm a big uniform karma guy. Yeah, you're you're a uniform karma guy. I don't know. I think if he wears orange, if he wears blue, whatever he wears on Sunday, you just go out and hit the shots. I, I do like the subtlety he's brought to it. He's no longer looking like a traffic cone out there. He just wears like one one piece of orange and calls it good, which is good. 
Uh, Colby, anything else before we get out of here? Uh, don't believe so. Good stuff. Appreciate everybody for listening. Looking forward to the A&M uh, Pistols Firing Reloaded. Carson, everybody, have a great weekend. Thanks for listening, as always, to Pistols Firing. Go Pokes!